Hey everybody, it's your friends, Brad and Dave. And we're just dropping into your feed to tell you about a special offer this month. Here's the special offer. Join us on Patreon at the $5 level and you'll get... An exclusive episode of Drunk Comic Lab. It's a Patreon-only hour of us talking comics while suitably soused. Oh, you will regret missing this. Brad is a delight. And when you join, you'll also get an ebook of how to make web comics. That's right. This is our how-to book on web cartooning that's now gone through four successful printings at Image Comics. And when you join us on Patreon, you'll also get an ebook of the Web Comics Handbook. So now that's two ebooks you're getting. This one with over 200 pages of actionable advice and how-tos that you can apply to your cartooning today. So that's the scoop. Join us before Thanksgiving, November 28th, and get two free ebooks plus the exclusive episode of Drunk Comic Lab. Gang, you already know you love the show, and here is your chance to join us on Patreon and get three cool freebies. And if you're already at the $5 level or higher, all you gotta do is stick around. You'll get your reward on the 29th. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Brad, I'm driving around Los Angeles yesterday, and, you know, L.A. is a ridiculously overheated real estate market. It's like, you know, uh, one-bedroom horse trough uh, with uh, <laughs> with extra hay, $4 million, that kind of thing. Ooh, yeah. uh, and uh, so what happens in that kind of a weird real estate market is you get a lot of signs popping up on uh, telephone poles and light poles and stuff. And so I got to tell you about this one sign yesterday that I saw because I was like... Hmm, kind of undercutting the message here. So it's like, it's like, make tens of thousands. I need an assistant to train to flip houses with me. Amazing work. But, all right, and you're like, oh, okay, oh, that's, a, yeah. that's a legit, that's a legit promo for, for something. Sure. But then, Brad, it's written in Sharpie on a high school poster board and taped to a telephone pole. And I, this is like the, the biggest undercutting of message I've ever seen. Like, make tens of thousands. Meanwhile, I bought this $1 Sharpie and a $1.50 poster board. Th- <laughs> make tens of thousands by not spending any money on office supplies. <laughs> Look, you too can be a millionaire by stealing staples from the office. Uh, yeah, and please tell me that tens of thousands both had apostrophe S's. That, that'll just complete oh, it. Yeah, to get to, to answer your unspoken question, yes, a thousand typos uh, or writos. I, think, I guess it's a righto since it's in Sharpie. Uh, but. Just Brad, imagine that. That's like those, uh, you know, the um, uh, dating ads were like yeah. huge stud, but it's like written poorly, so it's like huge stud, S T O O D. And you're like, yeah, you're kind of a, you're kind of undercutting the message there, you know. Yeah, seems legit to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, and anyway, that's uh, that is a lot like comics. So let's talk about this. Let's say, hey, everybody, welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making tens of thousands from comics. I'm Brad Geiger, <laughs> editor of webcomics.com and cartoonist of Evil Inc. 
And I'm his real estate flipping friend, Dave <laughs> Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of Strip. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We got a full week of uh, questions <laughs> that have come rolling in. Boy, hold on. I got I to gotta pause to explain. I'm a little bit fuzzy in the head today. <laughs> Because we've got a we've got a little sick one in the house, so I was up all night uh, with him, and oh my god, Brad, I I can't put two words together today. I'm like, nah, nah, yeah. nah, nah. We we were doing a little pre-show, and I I got a little I I got an indication that I, that uh, it's it's going to be fun listening to you try to think. <laughs> was it was the big giveaway, Brad, that I couldn't say the word Geiger when I was like, yeah, you know, just like Brad Groger style, Groger, who's Groger? Oh man! And now, now it, 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 there is nothing worse than a sick kid. Was it? Was it like a fever or a stomach virus? Or what? What are we talking here? What are we cleaning up from? Did you ever see the movie Poltergeist, Brad? Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was there a lot of a lot of pea soup projectile type stuff? Let's just say it wasn't the scene where they're moving into the house. Let's just say it wasn't that scene. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! Oof. <laughs> Oof is right. Uh, so uh, anyway, um, it's to apologies ahead of time if I'm if I'm a little bit talking like your drunk uncle today. It's because I'm working on two hours of sleep, everybody. But uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but though, so, Brad. Speaking of drunk uncles, I wanted to raise a point uh, with you about Yo. George R. R. Martin because I heard an, a really great interview with him. Yeah. He's a bit of a creeper of a weird dude, uh, as you know. But yeah. uh, he had a really good interview point on NPR this past week that I wanted to share with our Comic Lab listeners because I think it actually raises a really good point about how you write, how you begin a story, how you execute. Um, and he had a delineation of two types of writers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could either be a gardener and or an architect. And Ooh. now without without explaining anything, Brad, I think you could probably figure out what George was talking about there. Can you, can you sense what the difference is between a gardener yeah. as a writer and an architect as a writer? Well, it sounds like a gardener, w- without belaboring the metaphor, plants seeds and lets things grow in an organic way and follows it where it leads and maybe trims it back here or there, but it kind of takes a more let's see where this is going approach and an architect spends all their a lot of time planning making up blueprints uh, doing measurements uh doing whatever those guys do with the tripod they look through the little binoculars on the tripod that that kind of stuff and oh, those plan- guys are making tens of thousands flipping houses <laughs> that's what they're doing Brad. <laughs> Yeah, you know, we should say you can make tens of thousands of dollars in web comics, just not all at the same time. <laughs> uh, that's great. But I think I think it's a question between an organic creative process and a very orderly planned out creative process. Would I be right? Yeah, you're right. And uh, I immediately he identified himself as a gardener. Yeah, um, because they were in the context of. Uh, talking about uh, a song of ice and fire, the interviewer was saying, you know, there's a few threads that have have yet to be uh, carried through, and there's a few characters that, uh, even though they were seeded into the story, were never really uh, developed. And George was like, well, you know, uh, I I see myself as a gardener. I I like you said, I plant these seeds, I I nurture things along, and I think putting words in his mouth, I think what he's doing is he's saying, I trust future me to mm-hmm. take the ball and, and move it up court, you know? Right. So right. like 
And, and I have to say, I identify with that as a process because with Drive, I have planted a lot of seeds yeah. that even though I don't have the holistic vision of how they're going to grow, what the full plant is going to be when it grows, I know that future Dave Gardner will keep cultivating that and will find a way to make it work. Like I know the big, we've talked about this before, I know the big arcs that I'm going to hit, I know the big major points I'm going to hit along the way, but I really like this metaphor of a gardener versus an architect because I think... Uh, you know, and granted, every writer finds something along the way. But if you look mm-hmm. at like J.K. Rowling's notes, she's very copious in in architecturally planning out uh, um, the Harry Potter stories. You know, yeah. like again, I'm sure she found things along the way, but uh, she knew uh, by really careful planning where she was going to go, what she was going to do, what they were going to say. Um, and I, I find myself identifying more with that gardener metaphor. Yeah, that idea that you you know you're going to need some form of conflict in XYZ, so you plant it. You don't know how right. you're going to resolve it. You don't know where you're going to take it, but you plant the idea. Um, and I see it in you, too. Wouldn't you say you're a gardener as a storyteller? Without a doubt. Completely. In other words, there's a bunch of... I, I keep, when I do my writing from sketchbook to sketchbook to sketchbook, uh, I, I transplant pages from an, the old sketchbook into the new one because there's so many things that gets carried over. And one of those right. is just a page full of uh, hanging threads or or seeds, if you will. In other words, it's like, okay, don't forget this person did this. And at some point, it, it you know, it, it's got to be either explained or it's got to come to fruition. Uh, there, there's a bunch of stuff that some of that, some of them, I have an idea of what it's going to be. Some of them, I have no idea whatsoever. It's just like, it, it's just that it seemed like a really good idea to plant something there at the time. And I, and now I got to make sure I do something with it. Yeah. Uh, and, and what I invariably find out is later on, each one of those things has come in handy when uh, all of a sudden I find that that like I'm in a pinch or you know I, I I'm up against something. It's like oh yeah, wait a minute. I I planted this one idea uh, that that it's going to tie in perfectly here. And and if you uh, sprinkle enough of those throughout, you can kind of give yourself a get out of jail free card down the road because it's like oh yeah, this is going to connect up perfectly. You just have to be, if you're going to do that, the other analogy isn't necessarily a gardener. It's a trapeze artist. And what's happening is you're leaving that one swing flying through the air, reaching towards that other guy on the swing. Uh, But to make the connection, you've got to make sure that you go back and review and make sure that you're not uh, creating uh, an inconsistency that you're going to have to go back and retcon. Yeah. And uh, I can tell you from experience, <laughs> I've done that enough too. Yeah. <laughs> gotten burned by it. And I have just enough readers that are meticulous enough that they catch it within the first five minutes of it going live on Patreon. So, uh, so just be, be careful in that regard. But uh, Dave, don't you think that that's, I, 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 I don't know, maybe it's because my brain isn't wired that way. Don't you think that's a better approach than the architecture approach? Well, Brad, I'm glad you asked that because mm. uh, I actually think it depends on the type of story you are telling. Yeah. Um, and so here's the difference, I think. Um, if you are turning in, Brad, a completed project, a short story, a novel, a screenplay, a movie, um, I think that you, it will have benefited from you having been an architect. You planned out all the, all the major points. You got all the arcs. You, you blocked it out based on acts, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. Mm-hmm. You deliver the final product, and then the architect delivered. Whereas you and I are writing much longer form 
stories that are not yet a deliverable concrete unit. You know what I mean? Yep. They are yep. a deliverable that's still open-ended. And so I think for that kind of story writing, um, you are more likely to benefit from being a gardener. Uh, because I can't, if like drive is going to take me when it's all said and done, like, uh, 15 years to have completed. And there's no way that, um, Dave 15 years on was going to listen to all the story points and outlined architecture notes, uh, had I done it that way. You know what I mean? I just wouldn't have done it. I would have been Mm -hmm. like, no, I want to change this up. So, uh, it's better to do for me anyway, to do it in the style of an architect or sorry, in a gardener. And frankly, Brad, to to borrow a phrase from um, improv, what I'm doing is I'm gifting myself something. Yeah. I'm I'm saying to future Dave, not only do I trust you, here is a gift. Take the ball, run with it. Make make something out of this. Here's half a lump of Play-Doh. Make it into an ashtray. You know, that kind of thing. Yes. By the way, yes, I just described the quality of my writing as here's a, here's a lump of Play-Doh. Make it into an ashtray. That's <laughs> How nice. I can't wait to take up smoking. well now here's a here's another thought if if if, while you were saying that you made me think of this uh and see if you agree if you're having trouble writing it might be useful to ask yourself am i approaching this as a gardener and if so would i is my brain better suited to approach this as an architect and vice right. versa if you're right. reading into uh writing problems and you bang your head against the wall it might be useful to say oh geez i'm i'm really taking this approach as a gardener and i'm much more of an architect or i'm 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 doing yeah, all this planning yeah, yeah, yeah. like an architect and really my brain is much better suited to be a gardener that's exactly true. And yeah. it basically goes to the point of like, just know what you are, know how you work best. Yeah. But uh, the main thing I really I wanted to bring up with this George R. R. Martin quote is that I I find that that metaphor is a helpful one yeah. to trying to describe because, you know, so so often the creative process is nebulous and it's like yes. trying to catch quicksilver in your fingers. And mm. so when somebody does get a metaphor that works, I'm like, aha, I'm holding on to that. <laughs> and, and the idea, the metaphor of a gardener versus an architect is a really helpful one for the type of writer you are and the type of writer you want to be and the type of writer that you work best as. Yes. So uh, that's why I wanted to share that one. Well, and and one last point before we move on. Remember that every gardener, even the most organic of gardeners, every once in a while has to build a trellis for those tomato plants to climb up. They've got to, they've got to become an architect uh, every once in a while. They've got to bring a little architecture and they've got to build a fence around their garden so that the uh, rabbits don't come across and eat the carrots. You know, they, you, you've got to bring a little bit of architecture into your gardening. And at the same time, every good architect has to think a little bit about landscaping and green spaces and stuff like this. Uh, the best of architects have to allow themselves a little bit of organic moments as well. So it, it, as... <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting the slow clap from Los Angeles. Ladies and gentlemen, sense. Brad Geiger. Brad Geiger. <laughs> yeah, you've got, in other words, don't get keyed into just one thing. Remember, uh, that even if you are the most gardener of gardener, take a, a little bit of time for that other side of your brain as well. You could, you could do something good. That's absolutely true. Yes, yeah. perfect, Brad. Perfect summation on that one. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad I, I'm, I'm glad I brought that through because... 
We have a question written in by one of our $5 backers, and I've been itching to get to it because it is a fantastic question, and it's a topic. Uh, we, we've had a lot of recurring topics on this show. This is a topic that we haven't hardly talked about at all, so I'm kind of eager to, to dig into it. You ready? Okay, yeah, let's do it. This comes in from Mike, and he says, Dear Brad and Dave, love the show. Been listening to you both since the beginning of Web Comics Weekly. Glad to see you've each been making a go of it since then. My making question Making a go of it. <laughs> I see you. I, I, I yeah. see the subtle jab. See what he did there? <laughs> My question is about online commissions. Do you actively seek out commission work? Do you have a set of rules to go by to establish what you'll do and for how much? What about including characters you don't own the rights to, such as Star Wars or Marvel characters? Thanks. So I ask you, Dave, tell me about your commissions. Okay, so this is a great question. I'm, I, I've literally never answered this question before, so this is fun to do. Um, so I do now do commissions based on Sam Logan and uh, Jake Parker convinced me a couple years back at an Emerald City Comic Con, like, hey, why don't you start taking commissions? It's worth a few thousand bucks a year. Yeah. Um, and they're fun to do. And I was always like, nah, I don't want to do commissions. I just want to do the things that I want to do. I was very, <laughs> frankly, Brad, I was very fussy, I guess is the word, uh-huh. or I don't know. Uh, I I was like, I just want to draw what I want to draw. <laughs> that kind of thing. No, I get that. I get that mindset, though. Yeah, but it was a little bit closed-minded in the sense yeah. that, like, uh, on some level, I needed to trust my readership that they might have fun ideas in the wheelhouse of things that I like to draw, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so anyway, I opened up commissions. Uh, great fun. And then I started to get more of a systematic way of handling it. So now what I do, Brad, is mm-hmm. I try to do commissions only in certain chunks of the year because um, it's kind of like email, Brad. If you check email once a day, it's really efficient and you're done in 20 minutes. Yeah. But if you constantly listen for the ding, 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 and you check every 10 minutes, Yeah, that process not only breaks your train of thought, it you know it takes you 40 minutes over the course of the day to do email. Yes. So what I try to do with commissions is I do them in specific chunks. Like I know that people are going to want to gift them around Christmas. So usually around that time of year, I will open up commissions. I know that they are a big sellers in Kickstarters. So around that time of year, I will open up uh, commissions. And I the other time I do it is San Diego Comic-Con, Mm-hmm. It's a fun one for me personally to see someone open up the envelope uh, for their ordered commissions. So mm-hmm. I like to do them for San Diego. Yeah. So there's three or four times a year where I open it up. Um, and what I do is I I have two consistent forms that I use. One, a physical form. If someone's at a con- convention and they say, hey, do you do commissions? I can hand them a sheet. It literally is an ordering sheet that oh. says single character, black and white, single character, color, single uh, two char- two to three characters, black and white, two to three characters, color, that kind of thing. And then um, and then I have them write their email, their text uh, messaging, so I can say, they're, you know, your commission's ready, uh, and then I give them a brief description. And one of the caveats that I do is I say, look, uh, know the artist that you're requesting this commission from. Don't ask me anything skeevy. Don't ask anything like uh, weird. Um, I'm not Brad Geiger. I'm not going to draw that for you. <laughs> oh, man, those are, those are the funnest ones. <laughs> <laughs> I say, no, you want to go to the next table over. That's Brad Geiger. He'll be happy to draw that. 
Oh, it, it involves a, a wombat. Yes, Brad will definitely incorporate that into the drawing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're talking to the right. Yeah, bring him right over to me. I'll handle that. <laughs> Brad's like, you're literally rubbing your hands like, ooh, another wombat commission. This is great. Licking my chops. Yeah, exactly. And, and sir, how much peanut butter does the wombat have? Okay, great. Um, so uh, anyway, so because uh, you have to set your limits and uh, to the question asker's point, uh, you know, they had asked, uh, do we do commission character or sorry, characters from uh, other IP, that sort of thing. I tend not to unless it's really fun and this and creative. And this is what I mean. Sometimes people will say like, hey, I would like you to draw my dog Bowser, but draw him in the uh, as though he has a dog Iron Man outfit. And to me, that's enough of a creative step away from the IP where I can make it fun, you know, uh, where I'm not just drawing Iron Man, uh, that kind of thing. Um, I have done once or twice, uh, but I frankly, I'm like, you're you're commissioning me as a cartoonist, so have me draw my stuff. That's more fun, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that makes that's more my sense generalized too. attitude. Yeah, but now I've been talking too long, Brad. I want to hear about you because you are a much more established, and uh, I feel like. Um, have it more keyed down uh, or keyed up rather uh, commission artists. So tell me how you handle it. How do you do it? Well, very much the same, although I, I came to it a little bit different way, very similar to uh, original art. Uh, I, I was uh, offering original art and uh, it was not selling particularly well. And uh, I made it into a Patreon reward. And now it's a huge driver of Patreon pledges. Which which really seemed uh, anti logical to me, uh, and so I thought, well, maybe I'll do the same thing for commissions. And I set up a level at which you get a commission at a certain amount, and it was a tremendous driver. In fact, I had to cap it off, or else there was no way I was going to keep up. And uh, I, much the same way as you, I I had a pre written uh, kind of uh, guideline. So when you first sign up at this level that says, right. okay, you're at this level. Here's, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're not going to do. <laughs> All right. And, and always in a commission, I, even though I have, uh, in, I, we were joking around about it, but it's absolutely true. I have much more broad, uh, level of the, the topics that I will accept than, <laughs> than Dave does. But, uh, I, I still put a little caveat in there and, and I say, I reserve the right to politely decline any idea uh any anything that i'm not comfortable with it, it, it's yeah, no exactly, harm no foul exactly. but it's just like nah i i i put that right up front so they know that that's a part of the deal uh and uh, it's it's not a big deal it's just that nah i don't want to do that that that's not going to happen and i also found very early on that it's a good idea to, to to not necessarily set limits but to manage expectations so i'll say in my uh, commissions no more than two figures and uh, a simple background in other words if you say that you want two figures shaking hands in front of the spanish armada sailing down <laughs> down the fleet uh, right, in, as in godzilla the rises up from the sea yeah that's <laughs> yeah. Really. Yeah. It's like, no, we're not going to do that. And we're not going to do yeah. more than two figures. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes it's like they, they want uh, a whole group scene. It's like, nah, I, I, I can't do that because literally it'll be the only thing I'm working on this entire month, you know? So manage expectations. And then what I found uh, for my commissions is very helpful is to keep the, uh, patron involved along the way. So they will send me a, uh, 
uh, a write-up of what they'd like. I'll send them back at that point, any adjustments that I think need to be made. Like, okay, we got to scale this back a little bit. This is a little unreasonable. Once I go from that, then I come up with a scene in my mind and I'll sketch it out. I send them a screenshot of the sketch and I say, okay, this is a scene I've got in mind. What do you think? Once they approve that, then I go on to the inks. And and then at that point, changes become a little harder to make, uh, not because uh, I'm actually working in ink. I'm working digitally and changes are relatively easy to make. But it's harder for you to convince me once you've seen the sketch, which is usually pretty tight, uh, you, you can't say, well, wait a minute, I want the sword to be in his left hand and not his right hand. Well, the sketch you approved had it in his right hand. We're going to go with the right hand. <laughs> you know, we're not going to make these right, kind of changes. Right. Anything you see in the sketch, you're going to see in the inks. And so, and wait, Brad, I, can I pause you? So you yeah. you do go out for clarification and approval at a pencil level, though, huh? Yep. Oh, it saves so, tons of time. Yeah, that I will be honest that I don't do that. Um, so keep going, but I want to circle back around on that about why I don't do that. But that's fascinating and interesting and a worthwhile note that you do it. That's good. I And and to be honest, I have usually very, very little uh, changes at the sketch stage because we've discussed it already. Uh, but and, and, and frankly, if they do want to make a change at that point and if it's a change that I'm willing to accept, in other words, if it's not like ridiculous, uh, then... There's no skin off my nose. I haven't started on final art. It's really easy to make the change. So then at that point, I move on to inks. And from that point on, I, I send them a screenshot of the inks. But at, as of now, it's a formality. <laughs> you know, here's right. the inks. This is what it's going to look like. I'm going to send it to Alex Heberling to color it, and she's going to make it look beautiful. And I give them a look at the colors before I post it. And and by the way, uh, I, I use this as a double-edged sword for me. Not only are the commissions something that I use to drive pledges, but of course, I end up posting that content on my Patreon for everyone else to see. So I'm also using it as content. And once I post it there, uh, they've already gotten their version. I'll send them uh, Dropbox links to uh, high-res and low-res versions. They can print it out. They can do whatever they want from it. It's theirs at that point. And I move on. But I, I, if I were to give you any two words of advice when it comes to commissions, uh, those words are manage expectations. And yeah. Uh, and don't don't get talked into doing something you don't want to do. I don't do caricatures because I, I don't do them well. I, I've not devoted the uh, hours and hours of uh, practice that you need to devote to become a good caricature artist. Uh, I, I don't do caricatures. And just I'll take a quick little detour here. I try not to do licensed characters, not because I have a problem with it. Like, I don't mind drawing a Spider-Man or I don't mind drawing Luke Skywalker. But the problem is it limits by my ability to monetize that image past the commission. And I end up taking these illustrations and I'll put them into art books or collections or use them in graphic novels as interstitial pages. I'll use them for any one of um, uh, about a dozen different uses. I want to be able to use that image further. And if I do license characters, it makes it that much difficult to do. So I put the 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 hold up sign uh, when somebody wants a licensed character, and I tell them why. 
You know, that this yeah. is it, it's, it's just something that creates uh, problems for me licensing wise down the road that I don't want to deal with. And I'd much rather be doing my own characters anyway. And uh, again, that I, I think if you manage expectations up front, you have a much easier time all the way through, don't you think, Dave? I, well, so yeah, I I super agree with the phrase "manage expectations," and yeah. uh, it's it's interesting how that can be different for different artists, and that's worthwhile because it might be different for you as an artist too. So I am different from Brad in that the expectation that I manage is that when you hire me, which is kind of what you're doing, to mm-hmm. draw a piece of art. You're giving me the prompt, you're giving me the suggestion, you're giving me the conditions that you'd like the art to appear. But then mm-hmm. my spoken and unspoken agreement with you is that I am the artist, I am creating it. So for that reason, I don't give people notes, Brad, um, mm-hmm. or the chance to give notes or give feedback at the pencil stage. I'm like, here's your finished art. That's done. This yeah. is it. That's done. Now here is your done and finished art that can't be changed because it's an in ink. Um, and uh, and again, this is this is Dave curmudgeonly probably, but yeah. one of the reasons why I do it that way is I think in last week I told you how I hate getting notes, Brad. I literally turned down gigantic yes. jobs because I I just don't like getting notes. So right. um, I hate getting commission notes like if you're paying me (laughs) a couple hundred bucks to draw something whatever it is Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. you are paying for my expertise you're paying for my insight you're paying for my uh lookout on the world right um yes it's not necessarily a collaboration and if what you're looking for is a collaboration then that's a different process than hiring dave kellett you know so that's Mm -hmm. Um, that's again, a personal subjective thing. I understand. And I respect to a thousand percent why Brad does it that way. Cause he doesn't want to have to go back and do it again. Um, you know, he, uh, and I get that, but my attitude is you hired me. That's what you get. You're going to get my best. <laughs> I am going to give you my best. Now, whether yeah. you like it or not is a different question, but if you like me enough that you wanted to pay me, I'm assuming you're going to like the general, uh, 99.9% of the stuff that I produce. So here's your finished art, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Right. And, and I would, I would add that it's all in how you present it. In other words, uh, you can do an awful lot of mitigating of this kind of, uh, uh, armchair art directing by just the way you present that email. In other words, if I send my email out and I say, here's the sketch, do you see any changes you want to make? How do you, what do you think about it? And, and, and if I ask a bunch of questions, then I'm going to get a bunch of answers because let's face it, don't ask questions if you don't want answers. Right. However, if I send that sketch out and I say, here's the sketch and just say, here's the sketch. The only time somebody's going to bring something up is if it's really bothering them. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I respect Otherwise, that. Otherwise you, you, yeah. And, and, and that's, that's a, again, a big part of uh, it's it, it presenting that. And you're kind of in a dance with this other person. Uh, in, in doing a commission. And I think it's your job as the artist to lead in that dance, not to follow. <laughs> you, you need to lead. Right. And if you follow, you, you pretty much get what you, what you're uh, aiming for. You know, you're, you're going to follow. And it, you, if you set that situation up, then <laughs> you're, you're going to go wherever they go. That's what's uh, following is all about. Uh, so if you're going to do these commissions, by all means, be prepared to lead the dance, manage expectations, and I would add one third one, and that is to have a pre-designed list of uh, prices, uh, especially if you do different types of commissions, 
and make those available up front. In fact, I see this on Twitter all the time. They'll charge this much for a, a head and shoulder shot. They'll charge this much for a full body shot, this much for two bodies, this much for black and white, this much for color. Uh, it, it's really helpful to give somebody, if you're willing to do that range of stuff, it's helpful to give them a, a price sheet so that they can uh, make the best decision with their money. Exactly. Uh, that's going to create somebody that's going to come back time after time. And I've got people who've been doing, I've been doing commissions with now for literally years. And uh, part of that is because I think they appreciate the the process. They they like what they get at right. the end. Otherwise, they wouldn't spend their money. Yeah, I try to make to 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 finish that point uh, that you started so excellently. I try to make it like a Denny's menu where you yeah. literally see what you'll get for two hundred bucks. You'll see what you get for three hundred bucks. That kind of thing. So uh, I do samples of like here's what I did for someone else at that level. Here's what I did for you know this person or that person. Um, uh, because to Brad's point, it makes it easier for them. Like oh I. See, yes, I would like that kind of a thing. Or, oh, uh, that's a little bit more than I want to spend, but thank you for showing me that. I want to do the lesser level. This And, and when you right. show them an example, it's all to the better. Um, but I also want to say one other thing on prices is that uh, Brad makes excellent use of reusing the art uh, in as either an art book back material or that kind of stuff, right? And, and mm -hmm. I have, uh, again, the greatest respect for Brad for being able to do that. There's a lot of times with my commissions where I can't. I can't make use of that in the back of a, say, Sheldon book or the back of a drive book. But um, right. what you have to do, and keep this in mind, is uh, Brad's pricing, I'm sure, keeps in account, hey, can I use this somewhere else? My pricing... Yes. Uh, very often keeps into account, hey, I know that I cannot use this somewhere else. <laughs> so you're paying yeah. for my time that otherwise could have been producing art that could make me X amount of money, you know? Um, right. And so that's that's basically what you're charging for. Uh, you're charging for, and also uh, in, in terms of humility, when you're starting out commissions, maybe start from a, a humbler spot and work your way up. Like every year you can raise it 25 bucks or 50 bucks or whatever, you know, but start from a, a humbler spot to build up your commissions and to build up the reputation of like, oh no, so-and-so produces great commissions, that kind of a thing. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, I think we've put that one to bed. Brad, what do you think? I think you've buttoned that up nicely. Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we'll tell you why you should join us on Patreon. Oh, when you do, you'll get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, no worries. You can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five star and a few kind words. That, and along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, let's talk comics. Dave, I got to tell you, this show is once again being sponsored by our good friends at Wacom, and they're going to be our sponsor through the end of the year, and I couldn't be more uh, not only happy, but I'm going to be honest with you, prouder of that fact. As you know, uh, both Dave and I have Wacom's in our studio. Uh, Dave uh, always points out that I've got a Wacom sitting on my desk, uh, and he's got uh, two of them over there on his desk. And uh, you always you always point out that you've got one more than I do. 
<laughs> Did you ever notice that? <laughs> Brad, it's not a contest, but it's actually three. I have three welcomes in my studio. It's not a contest of Brad. <laughs> but no, I got to say, it, it feels good to have Wacom as a sponsor because we, obviously we both use their stuff. We endorse it strongly. We, we couldn't recommend it uh, uh, any more strongly than we already do. And uh, and it's just I'm, I'm looking down at the Wacom on my desk right now and I'm feeling the Wacom love. So uh, it, it just feels good to be brought to you once again by our friends at Wacom. And Dave? I think you've got another question from our Patreon backer. I do indeed have a question for you, Brad. This comes in from Angela, who writes, Hello, Brad and Dave. I almost (laughs) said hello wrong. Good job, Tired Dave. Uh, (laughs) So Angela says, I work at a library, and I've been listening to Graphic Novel TK. That's another podcast, by the way, that I heartily recommend. Delightful uh, and really informative. Yes. Um, uh, Anyway, Angela says, Both places talk about how reviews help determine if a book will be bought by a library or a store. This can be reviews from places like Kirkus and Publishers Weekly, smaller reviewers, or the comments left on Amazon and Goodreads. Do you suggest to your readers to leave reviews? Do you send out books for review? You guys are great at tracking stats, so have you noticed whether it makes a difference? If you don't send out reviews, why? Brad, Angela's question is fantastically good. Yeah. Do you want to tackle that about reader, uh, not reader, about uh, reviews in general and ratings on Kirkus and Publisher Weekly and uh, on how you handle reviews and art copies and that sort of thing? Brad Geiger, go. Yeah, this is all about a question of knowing what business you're in. And my business is not quite so much uh, bookstores and libraries, although I certainly don't turn down those sales. And I'm a big fan uh, whenever somebody from a library uh, makes a purchase uh, because I I do support that 110%. The fact of the matter is most of my business, not only for uh, Evil Inc. After Dark, but for uh, for the mainstream Evil Inc. series as well, most of my sales come from Amazon. And and that and also directly through Kickstarter and and uh, direct through sales on my site. But in terms of the the sales that I don't have a direct hand in, it's Amazon. So I am not spending any time sending out copies for review. I don't care if Publishers Weekly ever sees it. <laughs> I don't. I, I I experimented with Goodreads for about a month and 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 got no traction there. Uh, although I do, I, I know it's a fantastic community, and I I love what I see happening there. It just wasn't happening for me. The only uh, part of this that I participate in is the part that I've actually seen traction and I've seen uh, positive things happen from it. And that is I will encourage my Patreon backers and my Kickstarter backers once they get their book to, by all means, especially uh, uh, the Patreon backers uh, who may have bought it through Amazon in the first place, to sign in with their Amazon account and to leave a user-verified review of the book. That I've seen uh, having very good results. That has uh, worth to me. Uh, the, the rest doesn't have a whole lot of worth, <laughs> as like, at least for my uh, uh, my business, the way it's set up. 
but Amazon, absolutely. Every now and again, I'll put a little reminder, especially to my Patreon backers, because they're the uh, they're the most fervent backers. They're the they're the elite of uh, <laughs> in terms of the uh, Evil Inc. fandom. Right. Uh, they're the people that are most charged up. They're the people that are most likely to respond. And so every now and again, every maybe four or five months, I'll say, by the way, if you've bought any of my books through Amazon, uh, please uh, sign in and leave a review. You're doing me a huge favor. And frankly, for the After Dark book, that's what it really took to get that book uh, up and get noticed by Amazon's algorithms. Because, of course, with a book with adult content, people are not uh, running right out to Amazon to put their name on a review. Right. Uh, right so right. I, that that was something that was not top of mind. As soon as I mentioned it to my backers, though, I got four or five reviews within a month uh, of people who were like, oh, yeah, if that's going to help. By all means, I'll do it. Because I'm telling you, that's the kind of uh, Patreon backers I've got. They're they're the they're the greatest, right? Uh, so that was, and, and then after that, I I in my category, I would get in the top ten uh, after that uh, very easily. Once sales started picking up, it would go up to the top ten in its category, and of course, then that kicked out a bunch of more sales. So I try to make a note of that to do every four or five months just because it has such an impact on sales. Uh, the rest of what she's talking about there doesn't really enter into my sphere. What about you, Dave? Well, Brad, um, from time to time, you use a phrase uh, that literally makes my heart go a titter because I'm like, that's exactly what I would have said. Oh, that's exactly what I would have said. And when you first answered this question, you said, know what business you're in. Yeah. And Literally, that was my exact phrase that I was going to answer this question with. And I, rather than getting mad of like, oh, Brad stole my answer, I was like, oh, oh, he, oh, Brad used the exact phrase I was going to use. Oh, what a dreamboat. Um, so anyway, Brad, this wedding ring comes right off, comes right off Brad Geiger. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, you got to know what business you're in. And I want to yeah. I want to emphasize on this because it is critical to how important reviews are or are not in mm. your business as an author. So Brad made a, a thousand good points following this, but I really want to drill down on know what business you're in. So mm -hmm. someone who is working in traditional mass publishing reviews are critical because you are trying to get out to tens of millions so that one million or so will see the review of which 100,000 or 10,000 might be influenced by the review mm -hmm. so that 1,000 buy that review, right? Yes. And you want that yes. process repeated over a couple dozen times to increase your sales by 1,000, 10,000, 20,000 over a couple different reviews, right? And also, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt you for a second, and I don't want to derail you, but there's also a matter of time involved. Your, your book comes out. It's got to be bought at that time. It's got to have book sales so it gets up in the bookstores yes, at that time. Yes, you have a window, time. Brad. That's, I think exactly. that's what you're trying to say you have exactly. a window to get to it yeah oh again dreamboat reaction over here um so no i'm loving everything brad's throwing down so uh so yes you have a limited time window you also have the limited attention and focus of your publisher and marketing team right like you have x amount of time to get this thing moving or else they're moving on right they're like yep. what another book coming out see you <laughs> later brad Geiger. <laughs> yeah we got four more books we're working on now you had your chance and you blew it so you've got yeah. it you've got to get reviews and you've got to get those publishers weekly write-ups and those Kirkus stars because mm -hmm. if you don't, you very quickly get washed out by the next thousand books that are coming out in, in mm -hmm. that system, right? 
Whereas what Brad and I do and the, the, the lifestyle, frankly, that we propose, um, which I find more satisfying, is a direct author to audience um, interaction. And so what does that mean? That means I've already built my audience. I'm not trying to reach out to anyone new necessarily. Mm-hmm. I already built my audience. Um, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to sell to a percentage of them. 1%, 2%, 5% maybe ideally of my readership is going to buy a book, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, that also means that I keep the lion's share of the profits. Um, right. On a $50 drive hardcover, uh, we don't need to go into the super brass tax on the numbers, but uh, <laughs> let's just say Papa keeps the lion's share of that number, right? I was holding my breath. I'm like, is he really going <laughs> to We gonna get into numbers here? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I don't necessarily mind, but anyway, but compare that to a traditionally mass distributed author who mm-hmm. uh, for we can grab a bunch of different numbers, but let's just say a, they'll get a dollar out of a 15 to $20 right. book, right? Yes. Um, you know, and so because a lot of masters have to be paid there. The bookstore has to make their money. The distributor has to make their money. The publisher has to make their money. The agent has to make their money. If there is a lawyer at 5%, they have to make their money. If there's mm-hmm. an international agent, they have to make their money, right? All these different people, a publicist, they have to make their money if they're separately mm-hmm. hired. Um, so you're ending up with a dollar on an average book, even a New York Times bestseller, you're getting a buck out of that book. So what that means is, because uh, I just did the math in my head right now, if you're selling 150,000 copies of a book, Brad, mm-hmm. you as an author are making as much as I make when I sell 3,000 copies of Drive. Wow. So wow. I don't need to make <laughs> uh, reviews and start things. I don't need to do all that because I'm not trying to reach 150,000 people. Right. I'm just trying to reach, uh, of the tens of thousands of drive readers, I'm trying to convince 3,000 to jump in on the book, you know? Yep. yep. And so uh, it's a very different business model once you look at it that way. And, and you realize, oh, no, Dave, I mean, like, listen, uh, like Brad, I'm never going to look a review in the, in, the, in the mouth, right? It's going right. to, uh, that's, boy, that, that was a terrible mixed <laughs> metaphor with looking at gift horse in the mouth. I'm never going to look a review in I'm the mouth. I'm never going to look a review in the mouth. That's a weird, I'm, that came out really weird. Um, anyway, I'm never going to look askance at a review. I'm never going to turn down a, a, a five-star Kirkus whatever thing. But it's not, A, it's never going to happen because I don't have a publicist and a, and a publisher behind me like getting it in front of that uh, Kirkus reviewer, mm-hmm. um, right? That's never going to happen. And also the review itself, uh, while lovely, while super helpful, doesn't really move the needle on how many books I sell because right. I'm selling again to an audience that I've already built that I can already reach. It's direct artist to audience. And so I'm just tapping into that pre-existing audience to sell a book. Brad, am I wrong here? You're, you're right and wrong. Everything you said is right. Other uh, Up until uh, not looking a review in the mouth, uh, I will <laughs> look a review in the mouth. When's the last time somebody reviewed your stuff and got it right? <laughs> What's the last time somebody uh, you know took what? a look? I can tell you, I can tell you when because yeah. I still use the quote on my books. <laughs> there I was mean, a newspaper. There was a newspaper in New York that had this amazing quote uh, that said, uh, "Drive the characters are uh, the story is serious. The characters are hilarious." And I was like, "Oh, a that's a great synopsis," and B I'm using that on all my publishing materials because I love that quote. But how was the rest of the story? 
I mean, did they get uh, the rest of the rest of the review is fine. Okay, I, I, all I guess my point is every time I've been reviewed, it's like, nah, okay, they, they this isn't quite right. They, they they're getting this wrong, you know. That I've never had a review that uh, I thought, ah, they did a really good job of summing up my work. Yeah, no, no, you're right. Yeah, it's it's usually like Brad Geiger who draws animal comics. No, I don't. Who lives in Who lives in New York? Nope, don't live in New York. Uh, he's childless. Nope, I've got kids. You know, like none of the facts yeah. are ever right. Or, the story is always yeah. <laughs> mangled. Or yeah, worse right. yet, it, or worse yet, the review starts with crash, bang, zoom. Holy comic books! Brad Geiger's drawing people in capes. Okay, yeah, no, exactly. I'm done. Even even with uh, Reina selling 18 million copies of books, they still yeah. she still gets reviews like "Bang Zoom." Comics aren't just for kids anymore. Oh, and you're like, God. drive drive off a cliff already. That same headline was used in 1980. <laughs> yeah, but 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 yeah, you're you're for the most part, you're absolutely right. I it, it, it's not a thing to turn down, but I don't put any brain space towards it. I don't spend any time wondering if I'm getting reviewed or what. I, I you want? I'll just I've exposed my ignorance plenty of times on this show. I'll, I'll just expose it one more time. I had no idea what Kirkus is. I, you, you could, you could have told me Kirkus was a breakfast cookie and I would have said, okay, give me, <laughs> give me some with my coffee. I don't know what Kirkus is. Brad, it's a breakfast cookie. <laughs> Good. If it comes in, uh, if it comes in vanilla, I'll take two. Well, here's the here's the dirty little secret, Brad. Aside from, let's say, I'm going to be generous and say, aside from a dozen cartoonists that work in traditionally publishing, yeah. Aside from those dozen, from for whom I am personally jealous of their careers. Aside mm -hmm. from those dozen, everyone else is looking at the numbers that we make, doing it the way we do, and going, <laughs> "Oh, that's a really good system. I like the way you do it." Um, yeah. Aside, but and, but don't get me wrong, I would kill for Raina's career. She is oh. the, literally the best cartoonist of our generation in terms of yes. impact, and uh, like she's is selling eighteen million copies. That's amazing. So I'm in incredibly jealous and, and delighted by her career. But aside from maybe a dozen cartoonists, everyone else is like, huh, so it turns out I don't make a lot of money from publishing. <laughs> and, uh, uh, turns out I am going to need that job back at Target. So if I can get that, if you can pass me that clipboard back, I'll go back to stocking. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I've gotten a couple of those emails too. Yeah. So, so listen, Brad, uh, see, run through this once more. Uh, <laughs> tell me how you're doing this again. Yeah, we do get that email from time to time. Oh, yeah. So uh, my book just uh, came out seven months ago and it didn't have the, uh, the splash that I was hoping for. And I was wondering if you guys can take me through your business model and let me know how you're doing it because uh, <laughs> it's a little bit tricky over here. Sorry about that. I just gave blood and <laughs> it's going to take me, take me a while before I can make the keyboard work again. Oh, so now that we've insulted a whole bunch of people, we've got time, Dave, I think, for another $5 Patreon well, no, you question. Because the, uh, the piss and vinegar is up in me now and I oh, want to finish good, this thought. Good. Is that the, the, the thing with traditional publishing is that it's uh, um, aside from books for kids. Yeah. It's really hard to make a career in traditional publishing uh, comics right now. Um, oh, you're that, absolutely right. The, the market is just, it's, tr it's just tricky. It's just tricky. Like even people with hugely successful books um, at either Marvel or DC or image that I know, or uh, even with scholastic that are mid tier to low tier successes. Um, they're like, huh, oh, it's just not, not as much money as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> so 
A, it's hard for everybody. It's hard for Brad and I. Like we're we're joking about it now, but six to twelve months from now, we could be running scared as well. So it's like the the whole idea with reviews is that is that it's a part of a system that for us it just doesn't seem to make sense for the vast majority of audit artists. Don't you think, yeah. Brad? Isn't that the, the best way to say it? Like it just doesn't work for the vast majority of people. Well, it's wasted energy too. I, 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 again, I would take that energy that 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 somebody else might be uh, spending trying to get reviews and sending out uh, free copies of their book and all this other stuff. I'd much rather be spending that energy on social media, reaching people directly. I'd rather be spending that energy on Patreon. Uh, I'd rather be spending that energy setting up my next Kickstarter. There's lots of things to do. Uh, reviews fall so far down the list that they fall off <laughs> because I'd rather use that energy on things that work. I kind of feel of, about uh, uh, reviews the way I feel about book signings. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, that it's yeah, a lot. What's that yeah. German phrase, Sturm and Drang? It's like, it just feels like a lot of Sturm and Drang. It's a lot of motion, a lot of movement, a lot of... But then nothing really comes of it. You know, it's like you've, you've, you've stirred up a big whirlpool of motion and no books got sold, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, I, I could only dream for Sturm and Drang. And I, uh, I, my book, the one time I set up a book signing, uh, they set me up a, a, a table at the comic shop. I brought copies of my book. This was almost uh, 15 years ago. Set up copies of my book. I, I wore my best shoes, got out there. and, wore and my watched best shoes. Sorry, that's the detail that got me. Wore my best shoes. I'm putting on clean underwear today. No normal Brad Geiger for me. <laughs> yeah, I sat at the table and watched tumbleweeds blow across my table for three hours as the as the guy who owned the comic shop came up and said, funny, it's usually busy on Saturdays. <laughs> huh, that's weird. People are walking in and turning right back around again. Um, so, all right, let's move on to the next question, and I'll read it out to you, Brad. Uh, this comes in okay. from our, our reader over at patreon.com slash comic lab, Jay Lark, and he says, hey, Brad and Dave, special sales and discounts on books and merch are very common, especially around holidays. However, here's the question. Does discounting an item disincentivize customers from paying full price for an item in the future because they've learned that if they wait long enough, the price might come down, particularly at times when making the purchase sooner rather than later is crucial, such as a Kickstarter campaign? Thanks, as always, for the insightful and entertaining show. Brad Geiger, uh, sale prices and discounts on books and merch. How do you handle it? What do, what do you advise? Uh, I think it's all a question of timing. In other words, if you run a sale at the end of every month, then yes, you're going to train people to realize that there's a sale at the end of every month and they're going to wait off and buy the thing when the price comes down. Uh, if you run a sale once a year around Christmas time, I don't think it's going to uh, affect a whole lot of stuff because that's that's a once a year thing. Uh, again, this comes back to a matter of perspective. Uh, I think sometimes as creators, we think that our uh, backers and our followers are watching every little thing we do uh, to an right. extent that puts us much more important in their minds than we actually are. I, th I think there's a lot that we do, and all you got to do is run a Kickstarter for a month and then get that uh, email from a backer on the 31st day saying, oh, I didn't know you were doing a Kickstarter, to find out that they're not paying attention to every little thing we do. <laughs> they're not even paying attention to the big things we do for 30 days. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so I, I don't think you gotta. I don't think you gotta worry quite so much about. Hey, you just hit uh, puberty uh, there for a second. Did you hear that? <laughs> I did. I did. So I don't think you. <laughs> <laughs> 
turned into Andy Devine there for a minute. No, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't think you got to worry so much. Uh, if you do a sale like like a summer sale and a Christmas sale, you are not going to affect your Kickstarter uh, that that comes out when when people say, "Oh, well, I'm not going to do this Kickstarter in August because all I got to do is wait until December." Uh, no, 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 no. Don't 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 overthink this. You as long as you're not doing sales super regularly, you're going to be just fine. Uh, and and if you think you need to do a sale yeah. or or uh, again, don't discount if you uh, pardon the choice of words, the idea of doing a loss leader, taking some old merchandise and making it super discounted as a way to get people coming to the store uh, with the expectation that uh, they're going to buy a little something extra as well. I, right. I'm a big fan right. of the loss leader, uh, but don't don't overthink this. It's not not quite as big of a deal as you're making. And you can do a Christmas time sale, a holiday time sale uh, or, or a summer sale and be just fine. What do you think, Dave? No, I think you've, you've hit it right on the head. Uh, and I think the way you you said it perfectly, which is that people are not micro-tracking what you're doing. Um, yeah. So, for example, you know that site, Brad, I don't know if you've ever seen it, camelcamelcamel.com that tracks Amazon prices? Uh, no, I've never heard. I, you, I thought you'd making that up. No. It's, <laughs> like spelled like the animal, camel? Yeah, three times, camelcamelcamel.com. What you can do is you can go type Lord. in any product on Amazon, and you can see how they've priced it over their history, and you can see whether it's coming down, oh. whether you're currently in a price spike, that kind of thing. Well, yeah. uh, well, I'm sorry that I brought up something that you weren't, because uh, that kind of ruins the point. But what I'm saying is, it's not like people <laughs> are tracking our websites like they would be tracking Amazon on Camel, Camel, Camel. You know what I mean? Like, no one's right, no right. one's going, well, Brad Geiger, on the, on the first of last year, raised prices by 2%, but then on the 15th, <laughs> dropped the prices <laughs> of the Evil Ink book. Like, no one is doing that. They're going, you know what? I'd like an Evil Ink book. Oh, it's on sale. All the right. better. You know, that kind of thing. Done. Yeah. Done. And so uh, to Brad's point, what I like to do uh, is I do like to introduce a little bit of varieties in my sales so that someone doesn't assume, well, Dave always puts act one of drive on sale on the 1st of December. So I'm just going to wait. I was going to get it, but I'm just going to wait. What I try to do is anytime there's a sale, it's a different permutation of one of my books. Maybe it's Sheldon book five. Maybe it's the stickers. Maybe it's a poster. Maybe it's a, a pin, right. you know, that kind of thing. So that you never really know what I'm doing. Um, and can I, I guess the better way to say it is you can't anticipate what's going to go on sale. So if you want something, you might as well go ahead and get it. Um, but the one thing that I do uh, and this is a separate but related thing, Brad, since I still do conventions, I should mm -hmm. relatedly say that the one thing I don't do is I don't put books on discount or sale on the Sunday afternoon of a Comic-Con, which a lot of cartoonists do. Oh, because, I don't like that practice at all. Yeah, be because you are definitely training your audience. Um, and they're already being trained by Hyperion and Scholastic mm -hmm. and Disney, all the book publishers around you that put their books on sale because they're just staff. They don't want to carry it home. So they're like, yeah, sure, fine. 40% is, is, is the price today. We're trying to get rid of it. Whereas I, as an individual artist who doesn't need mass sales, I'm not, I'm not uh, a Scholastic. I Remember, I need direct artist to author um, or author to uh, audience sales. So mm -hmm. I don't discount on Sundays, I keep it same price so that if someone comes up on a Sunday afternoon, they get it the same price as if they had bought it on Friday and they know that right. my support is, is consistent and it's uh, the same basis any day of a show because otherwise, yeah. Oh boy, are you, are you training uh, folks into a bad habit? If you go discounting on Sunday, forget about training that, that doesn't even enter into it. it, it it's another case of know the business you're in. 
Okay, there's a big difference between you and Hyperion, and this is what it is. You are relying on that connection you're making with a reader when you when you when they come to the booth, when you sell them a book, and so on and so forth. Hyperion doesn't give two schnikes about that. They're two they're, they're there to move. <laughs> well, I didn't want to be uh, obscene. Uh, they don't care. Uh, they they're there to mer- move merchandise, and if they put it out at a forty percent discount, they're still making a profit on that book and cutting, like Dave mentioned, their sales. But they are not worried about making a relationship with the person that's coming up to their booth. They're looking to move merchandise. Dave's looking to make a relationship with the people that are coming up with them. Now, if somebody comes up on a Saturday, again, like I said, it's got nothing to do with training. Somebody comes up on a Saturday and buys a book and they're circling back on Sunday and they see that Dave selling that same book for 50% off. That relationship for the Saturday person just got tarnished yeah, a little bit. Yeah, you're and right. And they're going to feel cheated, and rightly so, by the way. But they're going to feel cheated. They're going to feel disappointment. Even if they even if they totally get it, even if they are a convention veteran and they know the score, they're still going to feel a little bit cheated. Yep, yep. And Dave's business and my business is all about making that person feel good about themselves for aligning themselves with us. Uh, And we can't risk that (laughs) happening. We want that person to leave saying that meeting Dave Kellett was one of the nicest things that happened all weekend. Uh, Hyperion? That that doesn't and I'm 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 just picking on Hyperion because they were the first persons. I, I I'm not saying that they're bad. They're like everybody else. It's they've got their business that they're doing. And they would be making mistakes if they tried to do their business the way we do business because they know what business they're in. Right, right. And that's why I say it's got nothing to do with training uh, people. It's got everything to do with know the business you're in. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Well, on that point, Brad, uh, I think you put the perfect button on it. So I'm going to say, let's go on to our last question for the show. And this is about uh, T-shirt theft and in general theft on the Internet. So, uh, Brad, this comes in from uh, Mark Ashworth over on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab and says, Brad and Dave, I keep seeing warnings that I should be checking to be sure no one is making a T-shirt or a bumper sticker or something from my work without my knowledge. But that sounds like an unwinnable me versus the Internet situation. My question is, how would you check to be sure no one else is in, no one else in the world is using your stuff? Good Lord. I've got too much to do without worrying about if somebody somewhere is is doing something I don't approve of. Uh, this uh, this question is kind of the same question as we get uh, when people say, oh, I want to start my webcomic, but I'm scared somebody's going to steal it or I'm scared somebody's going to steal the copyright. Uh, you can get an awful lot of paralysis being worried that something bad is going to happen to the extent that it keeps you from doing the thing that you want to do because you're so scared. You're so terrified that something's going to happen. Meanwhile, uh, speaking only for myself, uh, I can tell you that uh, over a 20-year career, uh, 80% of it was doing work that absolutely nobody would want to steal to do anything. Right, right. <laughs> nobody was looking for my freaking Greystone Inn comics to make bumper stickers out of. Nobody was looking at the first year of Evil Inc. trying to make a T-shirt. Nobody was interested. My work wasn't good enough for that. And uh, so much of, especially I I really, and and I'm not saying anything about the quality of anybody's work, but I'm saying, especially if you're starting out, if this is where your head is at, 
you got to realize you're just starting out. You're probably not doing work that anybody's even interested in stealing. But let's say you are. Let's say you're doing gorgeous work. You're just sparkling up the place. Uh, here's the deal. Somebody somewhere is probably stealing your stuff, and they're probably making a buck two ninety eight out of it. And uh, go with God, uh, do what you're going to do. It's not going to even come on your radar until it raises to the level of being significant, and at which point they're making uh, significant money. At that point, you need to get involved, and you need to become uh, active and send out season to season and so on and so forth. Uh, that's and, and and by the way, that's fine. All they really d- did was showed you that there's a merchandise model that you should have been thinking <laughs> of if you haven't been doing it already, right. and maybe you ought to be going in that direction uh, and 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 pursuing that. Uh, getting your nose out of joint because they made a few bucks. Uh, yeah, it's it's disappointing, and when it's your art, it's grating, uh, and I totally get that. But letting that. Uh, derail you from getting your work done and getting uh, doing the positive things in your life and building your career. I, I, I think I, I think the amount of time that people spend worrying about this topic is counterproductive. Yeah. What do you well, think? Well, I Dave? think first of all, Brad is a far better artist than I am because he said eighty percent of the stuff that he's produced never could be made into merch. <laughs> I'm going to one up him and say ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the stuff that I've produced over yeah. twenty years of cartooning could not be merchandised in yeah. any way that could make someone a, a, more than a buck. Uh, like I've tried. Right. <laughs> Let me tell you, I've tried. If I can't do it, they're not going to do anything with it. So I've had a couple of Brad, uh, and I'm sure you have too. Uh, puns mm-hmm. or one-liners or jokes or something where someone could lift the text out of my comic, put it onto a shirt, and I've seen it on Redbubble or Nine Gag or whatever the hell it is. Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. I got angry there for a second. I, I just hate Redbubble. But anyway, um, <laughs> they put it on Redbubble. And like Brad, I'm like, go with God. Good luck trying to sell your your Helvetica yeah. font version of my joke. Uh <laughs> I can't. Yeah. I can't even sell more than a few hundred versions of that on my site to an audience that knows the joke. Right. Uh, so good luck with that. Right. Um, so I actually heartily endorse and co-sign on what Brad said. Um, do they exist? A thousand percent, they exist. Mm-hmm. Are they making money on it? Yes, they are. Yep. Are they making a ton of money? No, they're not. Is it money that you could have made or could now somehow tap into? Probably not. So. Um, And again, this is, I have thousands of comics up on the internet Mm -hmm. and 99% of them don't make me money. So, but I think Brad hit on it, which is uh, a lot of people take this as a moment of fear that keeps them from creating. And it's very similar, Brad, wouldn't you say to the people that email us saying, Brad, how do I copyright my work before it goes online? I'm really, (sighs) I'm really worried about copywriting my work because I, (laughs) I don't want to share it because somebody's going to steal it. And it's like, listen, I can tell you, I don't know who you are, but I can tell you right now, it's probably not that good of an idea. Just put it out there anyway and and get started. Right. And even if it is a good idea, you still have rights within, uh, within the U S system at the point of creation. Uh, So Uh, I guess what I'm saying is don't let fear stop you from being a creative person first and foremost. And when you're worried mainly about like, oh, no, someone's going to steal it. Someone's going to put it on a T-shirt. Someone's going to take my copyright. Mm -hmm. That keeps you from Mm -hmm. creating the thing in the first place. Now, listen. Casey Green created uh, by hook or by crook, one of the most powerful. I was just about to bring Casey up. <laughs> Casey brought, created one of the most powerful and effective memes, kind of, probably on a lark. I don't. I haven't asked him in a long time about it, but uh, uh, it yeah. was probably like everything else. Uh, one strip that he did, and it was like, all right, well, that's that. I'm going to the next strip. But it took off, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Now, yeah. he since has had to hire uh, lawyers and licensing folks to track down the stuff. But let me tell you, it's only because it is literally the biggest meme online right now. You know what I mean? And, and will be for yes, another couple of years. Yes. Like, we're going to be seeing that uh, as we go to our grave. Our grandkids are going to text us like, uh, hey, how's school going? And they're going to text us a meme that says this is fine. You know, that kind of thing. So yeah, uh, yeah. what I'm getting at is, though, like, worry about it when you become Casey Green. Don't worry about it when you haven't picked right. up your pen yet. You know, that kind of thing. And realize that what Casey, what, what happened to Casey, although it's it's uncomfortable and and it was nightmarish for Casey, Casey kind of won the negative lottery, right? It was like getting hit by lightning, or it, it, not in that that it, it was a uh, fluke that he came up with such a great uh, uh, image. Uh, he's a very good cartoonist. That part was not a what is not a fluke. The fact that it struck the zeitgeist the way it did and took off, that's kind of like uh, winning a, a bad lottery, <laughs> right? I don't sit around wondering if I'm going to win a bad lottery. It's, it, it, it's, it's just not going to happen to me, right? And, and chances are it's not going to happen to you either. You, you've got as much chances of, of, of you creating the next this is fine uh, as you do of, of winning the lottery. I think you can go forward very confidently. Yeah, Brad, that's a really good. Yeah, I. Uh, you know what? Yes, oh, Brad, <laughs> you're hitting them all out of the park today. I'm sorry. There's, there's got to be a better phrase than that than winning the bad lottery. But you know what I mean. It's got a a big chance. Uh, uh, it's one out of a million chance that this is going to happen to you. Yeah, and and by the way, when it does happen, there are professionals you can hire to help make it right, to help right. fix it. You know. Um, and so is it going to happen? Have I had cartoons where this happened? Yes. Have I had cartoons where I had to either hire a lawyer or, um, uh, do this or that to send a cease and desist? Yes. Has it happened frequently? Mm -hmm. No, I think it happened twice over the entire 20 year period of my cartooning. Was it, was it detrimental to my work? No, not really. I was mad for an afternoon, sent the letter and then that was done, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, and, but keep in mind that was over 20 years of cartooning. So, uh, had I been yeah. focused on that, to Brad's earlier point, then it would have stopped me from 20 years of cartooning or slowed me or made me hesitant. Uh, don't forget that it would the be... place of cartooning that you want to operate from is joy. The moment of, of creation is joy yes. and it's optimism and it's excitement and you're, it's a willingness to share. And when you shut that down, you a little bit shut down the creativity that makes that all possible. Yeah, it would be it would be like to bring that metaphor home. It would be like buying a lottery ticket and then on the way home buying a brand new Lexus and stopping and buying a, a, a newly flipped house from a guy with a sharpie marker <laughs> in his hand and and stopping along the way and you know buying a helicopter and when when all these bills come in you say well that's okay because I bought this lottery ticket. <laughs> you yeah. know? it's the exact same Absolutely. thing. You know, in, in reverse, it, it's not going to so don't don't worry about buying those lexuses and and buying those flipped houses your lottery ticket is probably not going to come through tonight right and and but and then go back to what originally got you to sit down at the drawing table which is i want to create i want to share i want to have fun cartooning um uh as is so many things with our career don't operate from a place of fear operate from a place of optimism and hope and sharing and creativity and that will serve you far better in your career 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And don't forget the Sharpie markers, because then you can say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics in Sharpie. Your hosts have been the fantastic house flipper Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And Dave, I'm not going to look it in the mouth, kill it, co-director of (laughs) Stripped. And the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. That made it sound like one of those uh, pretty lady type things where you're like, I'm not kissing you. That's what it is, Dave. I'm not kissing you. Uh, well, the Comic Lab theme- <laughs> The Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton, fantastic uh, musician that I highly recommend over at theworldrecord.net. And this episode and all episodes was edited by the delightful Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. And today's sponsor, as in all the rest of the sponsors for 2019, the good folks at Wacom over at wacom.com, wacom.com. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on patreon.com slash comic lab. So we're going to go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash comic lab. Okay, so Brad, I would like to commission you for some artwork. <laughs> yeah, yes. Go okay, ahead. So, so how much for a single Captain Heroic? How much would that? Well, don't even t- mention prices right now. So here's what I want. There is a, a the wombat needs to be sexy. It needs to be in a bikini. Captain Heroic walks into the bar, sees the sexy wombat in the bikini. Okay, yes. now hold on. I brought some props. I would like you to include into this commission piece. Um, yeah. <laughs> so here we go. I need this uh, this 1986 uh, Lexus uh, how-to manual. Uh, for, this is yes. uh, how to drive your Lexus. This is important for reasons yeah. I won't go into. Uh, I, need, I yes. need you to include this very large ballpoint pen. Um, I need you to include this baseball hat, this very specific baseball hat. Are you comfortable with this drawing so far, Brad? Are we still on the same page? It, it, it depends on where you want me to put the pen. <laughs> <laughs>